I'm going to keep some water up here with me. Uh, I've had so much coffee this morning that uh, if you're watching home on YouTube, you might want to turn this to three-quarter speed or something like that, and maybe it'll uh, even out. Uh, But anyways, kids can uh, dismiss, um, go up to um, uh, teach me to worship right now, and um, those of us who are left, uh, we have some fun we can get into today. Um, This is kind of a... uh, a bit of a transition Sunday. Uh, we're going to start a new series next week. Charles is going to start on the book of First Peter, as we did the life of Peter before. Now we get to see, uh, look at the book of uh, uh, First Peter and you know what he had to say. But in this Sunday, um, Charles told me to preach on whatever I wanted to, uh, which was a tantalizing uh, proposition. Uh, all kind of fun we could get into this morning, but uh, the more I thought about it, the more my mind kept coming back to um, this passage uh, in 2 Timothy 4. Um, this actually, um, a little over six years ago when I got here to Red Mountain, and uh, I preached through, some of you remember, 2 Timothy before as a young um, pastor trying to figure out how to do this thing. And it's kind of a fun opportunity to come back and revisit here several years afterwards, um, just kind of what... Um, what I've learned since then and, and stuff like that. And it became abundantly clear that it's a little bit audacious to think there's been a lot of development since that time. And maybe, maybe this is something to just hold on to and to continue to reflect on at different periods throughout um, the years. Uh, but what this is, is it is a letter that Paul is writing to his younger um, helper um, and pastor named Timothy. Um, and it, And Paul is actually here, we'll see, he is at the end of his life, um, the end of his ministry, and he's reflecting on it, and he's looking back um, about the road uh, that brought him here and what he is looking forward to, and he wants to impress upon Timothy um, some of his uh, greatest burdens and concerns that have been clarified in his mind and heart um, as he is an old man. Um, And so this being kind of the turn of the year, I guess the reason why my mind went here is that this is a good opportunity for us um, to listen to somebody um, who's kind of at the end and who wants to pass on wisdom um, to uh, somebody younger as they are looking forward um, into what's coming. So that's what we're going to do here this morning. Uh, Let's go uh, to our passage and uh, we'll read it um, and then we'll jump in. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, and henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. 
Dear Father, uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. And would in your great love and mercy, would you send your Holy Spirit among us to bring out the deep places of our hearts um, that we might be able to receive um, the good words and the good gift uh, that you have to give us here this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, one of the scenes of a movie that um, really grabbed my attention when I was younger was from The Godfather, uh, which means I wasn't all that young when I watched it, but it was a long time ago. Um, and if you've seen it, it's the scene when, um, you know, the older Corleone, mob boss, he's retiring and they're at a party and he pulls his son Michael aside um, and he is uh, passing on the mantle of leaving, leading this mob family uh, to him. And he has a few words of instructions uh, that he's going to give to him. Y'all remember this scene? Uh, he pulls him aside and he says, um, just want you to know, after you take over this family, uh, there's going to be an invitation to a meeting. Um, it's going to be a meeting between all the five families. And they're going to offer some kind of deal, uh, which is going to be for peace. And it is at this meeting that you are going to be assassinated. And so, therefore, you need to do this and this and this. And the reason that reached out and grabbed me as a younger person was I thought it was just so cool that this guy had the kind of shrewdness and wisdom and control uh, that he could know what was coming and be a step ahead of the game and he could navigate um, all of these circumstances that were going to come his way. Um, and in a sense, but when we really think about it, you know, you, you put yourself in Michael's position and there's, there's a lot of hope and a lot of prospect about uh, what's coming, uh, in addition with great responsibility. But from his father's standpoint, that he, the one thing that he wanted to really impress upon him is that there is a lot of potential and there is a lot of hope here, but there is a whole lot more danger than you even realize. And what, as an old man that there were particular things that he had, he had learned along the way that were vital for life um, if Michael was to survive. And that's kind of, you see, that's kind of a parallel to what is going on here with Paul. There's something about wisdom and age um, and experience that clarifies for us um, the things that are most important. Um, and we have a great gift when those are able to be passed on to us um, uh, to help uh, prevent us from the certain pitfalls that we might fall into um, if we didn't know that they were there. Um, and so this, there's a parallel here, and I, I do want to say um, that you know, this passage, that this is particularly, this is obviously not about mob bosses. Um, it's also not just about pastors either. Um, that this is a, there's a, an immediate application where you know, there's one pastor, he's handing off um, the reins of this ministry to another pastor and is trying to use his gathered wisdom and, oppress, and impress it upon the guy who's going to kind of follow in his footsteps later on. There's an immediate application there. But I think what it reveals is it reveals the heart um, of this guy for his whole church. And we even see that in here, that this is not just even about Paul, but this is about everyone who loves and anticipates the appearing of Christ and so that encapsulates all of us. And so we, too, no matter who we are, we have this gift 
uh, which is especially appropriate, I think, at a time like this on a new year where we're kind of uh, at a stage of looking ahead. Uh, we've kind of been handed the mantle of a new year and we don't know what's coming. And uh, we're thinking and making plans about how we're going to handle what's coming down you know, the pipeline. We're thinking about the areas of our lives where we want to fix uh, that where we haven't liked and tweak them so they can be better. Um, and I think all the time, in a lot of ways, we're doing this as a group. We're trying to do church in a way um, that's, you know, better from those who came before us. Uh, we're trying to do our society in a way that corrects stuff that, were, that was before us and uh, live into the future and thinking about new possibilities. Um, and it is very, while that is a wonderful thing for us to do, there's some, in our DNA, we are creatures um, that we are made uh, to take dominion over our space and to develop and to um, bring good um, and, you know, in the things that are around us. But at the same time, um, that there is wisdom and there are dangers and there are things that we really need to pay attention to. And we, act, we have a gift uh, when, that is, when that is given to us. Uh, by somebody else. So that's why we're doing this today, um, um, and that's why I think, yeah, this passage is appropriate uh, for a season like this. Um, I think that there are three things that we'll see that in Paul's wisdom that he has, that have just become very clear burdens of his heart, uh, that he wants the rest of the church that are following him in his footsteps uh, to really ratch, uh, latch hold of. Uh, The first is going to be that they are lovers of truth. The second, that they are givers of love. And the third, that they are receivers of hope. And so the first two are going to come more in the form of instructions. And then the last one is going to be the great foundation of why we would even want to do all of this in the first place. Uh, So let's jump in here on number one, the lovers of truth. Um, And this is the first thing that just jumps right off the page um, is that Paul's concern for Timothy and through him, his concern for his church um, is that they have a, a deep and abiding love of the truth. Uh, we see that here. He's saying he's charging Timothy that he is to preach the word. Um, this means the Old and New Testaments. Um, this is, he had just referred to this in chapter three before. This is the whole word of God. Um, and it is more than just a system of ethics, uh, but it encapsulates the whole story. Um, of the people of God, what God has been up to. It includes ethics, but it also includes the means of redemption that God has been, that God has given. It includes his character. It includes where the whole story is going. So this is a holistic thing that Paul is charging Timothy with, um, that this is a, a great concern of Paul is that the word of God, the truth that God has given, that he has revealed to his people, that it is received, uh, with a posture of love. And we think about, you know, the Christian faith, how this is, you know, how this works. And, you know, I don't want to get too far into this, but it is something that we have to think about. That the Christian's conception of truth is that it is something that comes from outside of us. Um, It's not just an expression um, of something that comes from inside of us uh, that we feel or think. But it is something that has been given to us. And this is because the world has been made according to God's great wisdom in a way that is constant in a way that is true, um, in a way that has a particular design um, uh, for it to function, um, that there's a stability to this um, in the way that God has made it. And therefore, all of our lives, they conform to this in the way that God, that God made it if they are to function 
um, in the full and proper way. Um, and just to illustrate, you might have seen, um, heard various illustrations of this, but like if, if I'm walking on a road and I see a tree like ahead of me on the road, right in my path, um, you know, there's a few things that might go through your head or my head. Um, you know, at first it's beautiful out there. You just kind of look at it and see its shape and that's interesting and whatever. Uh, but then, you know, that podcast about sense perception might pop into your head and then you just start going off and pondering, well, different people view the tree differently and uh, what is it actually like to be a tree? And uh, what, does it, what kind of space does it hold in the universe? And, you know, you're just pondering stuff. Um, and then you start to think about the walk you're on and how you would determine to go in this path and how that's very satisfying to stay on this path. And, you know, if something were to divert you, then that's going to, you know, kind of violate your, your plans for that day and in some kind of way. And then you think about that dream you had where a tree fell on you. And, you know, I've had some bad experiences with trees and I'm just going to kind of put them out of my mind. And like my life is going to go better if they're not there. And then, of course, you just run slap into it, you know, like a cartoon. (laughs) Exactly like that. (laughs) Truth is something that is an immovable force that you make contact with it. And uh, there are consequences to it. Um, So this is that's kind of a lighthearted way to get at this idea that there are a lot of things that we think and there are a lot of things that we feel, but in God's wisdom and his design, that he has made the world in a way that, um, that there's a reality to it, and that we're always working within it. Um, it's constant, it's sure, um, and it has to be worked with and within the boundaries of that um, if we are to live and if we are to um, thrive. And there's a sense that it's there, whether we acknowledge it or not, and there's a sense that is there that, in order, that not conforming our lives according to it actually does bring consequences in a way. And this is Paul is looking in the future and he is seeing these things and he wants his church to have a good, solid understanding um, that this is the case. Um, that, you know, truth is, is revealed by God. It is given to us as a gift and it is there for us to conform to it and not the other way around uh, for it to conform to us. And, like, that's a challenge in one way, I think we all feel. Um, but I, I just, I want to go a little bit deeper um, and go into if you feel the struggle with maybe, even if this feels like it violates, you know, some sense of autonomy inside, I want to probe into that and go a little bit deeper, um, just by virtue of the opposite. Look at the things that Paul references here. Um, after he starts talking about the Word, he said that time is coming when teachers will have itching ears and who will accumulate teachers for themselves. And so that's the opposite of this would have that there is an inner sense, a desire for something to be true that would provide a harmony with life that would make me feel good and that would make, you know, it would kind of scratch an itch as it were. And the other is to have a community around this aspect of truth that there are others that can actually verify for us that this is true. So we get this feeling of community in it, that we're not an island, but we're actually, we have support um, in the way that we're going. And I think what this illustrates is that when we're talking about truth, we're not just engaging with our minds, but we're engaging with the deepest loves within our hearts. Um, That there are things that we love 
that are in addition to the truth. There are things that we love very deeply, like community, uh, like mutual support, um, like you know, having a sense of comfort and harmony or autonomy inside of ourselves. And if you don't think that is true, think about the last time your spouse or somebody else told you that something you were doing was wrong. Was your response to that to say, okay, let's sit this down and I analyze all the elements and let's figure out if I was wrong. That's not really how my gut reaction goes to a fight. Usually there's this, there's this other reaction of, um, how dare you say that? Um, and I'm going to prove to you um, um, that that's not right. That's my goal, is to not be wrong here in this situation. Truth and love are tied together uh, very, very intimately. Um, and what Paul, he is getting at, and he knows for Timothy that there's going to be a difficulty on this road because of this. And there will be no end of other versions of ways that can scratch that itch. And there will be no, there will be no end of even other communities um, to give the kind of mutually reinforcing support um, around other ways. But what Paul knows here is that in a negative way, that if the truth is the truth, then there are consequences to not, follow, to not following it. Um, that's just the, the difficult and the brutal matter, the matter of the deal. But in a positive way, I just want you to think too about, just think about the world that we live in and the number of, of truths in the form of articles or ideas or whatever that in the air all around you, whether they're parenting or whether they're, you know, whatever. Um, they're just unending. And it is very hard to have a sense of stability or constancy in our world now. And so in a very positive way, what Paul wants his people to, re- to, to grapple with is that there is, through God, a loving and benevolent being. He has given his people something that is free of bias, that is utterly dependable. Uh, it is useful. It doesn't change with culture. It doesn't change with fad. It doesn't change with time period. All of these things. But, I mean, just imagine the kind of stability that that would feel like inside to have the kind of confidence uh, that you knew. You didn't have to worry about it. And the kind of confidence that you you had something to say that was useful, um, that was coming from somewhere that was actually grounding. That what Paul wants here is in our love of the truth is to love the world as it is, as God has given it, because it is good and it is clean and it is pure. And he's, he wants to stimulate Timothy to think about these things. Um, to think about um, the anxiety or the consequences that comes without the truth. And also the stability that comes with the truth. Now, I want to I talk about here in a second about why this is actually appealing. Um, and despite the sense of inside that might feel violating, why we still... Uh, that's still good news for us. But I want to talk about another aspect of this before I get there. Um, and this is that in addition to lovers of truth, that whereas that is the nature of truth, that the character of truth that God has given to people is very particular. And I think if we're honest, when we're thinking about, we probably all in this room have examples of people who have been just so off-putting 
to us because of their apparent command of the truth. You know, we've heard preachers who want to, who are, are angry and stern and feel more like that they want to control people than anything else. Uh, we have had people um, say things to us uh, that are very controlling and manipulative um, that can be very, very hurtful. And oftentimes, our struggle with the truth doesn't come with the truth itself, but from those who deliver it. Um, I read an article um, this week. Some of you may have seen it. It kind of made the rounds in Christianity Today titled, Why Are There So Many Angry Theologians? Have you seen this? Um, and, so, and the whole point was that, you know, the, that true theology, if it's grounded in the truth, what it produces is the fruit of the Spirit, not the works of the flesh being envy and division, um, controlling and those kinds of things. And I think that's something that really rings true to us. But look here how Paul describes the character of his servant that he is sending out with the truth. For one thing, he is supposed to exhort us with complete patience. And later on, he's talking, he's telling Timothy that he is to endure suffering you know what the suffering is that he's on, Paul's almost certainly referring to? It's people who disagree with him, who, who are antagonistic towards him. If we were to read on the rest of this chapter, uh, it's almost comical. Paul brings out a list of all of the people that have done him wrong or have abandoned him or something like this. Um, it's, you know, like an athlete's been saving, saving up doubters, you know, and he has a list and then when he wins is going to, you know, drop... Drop that. That's almost kind of what's happening here. Um, make no illusions that Paul's life has been characterized not as an antagonist, but enduring great suffering at people who disagree with him. And then at the end, look at how Paul describes his own ministry. He says he is pouring, he's right now being poured out like a drink offering, which almost certainly talks about his death, but also the character through which he is doing it. That his life has been given up for the sake of other people. And that Paul, with his gift of the truth that has been given to him, it is not given to him so that he can control or boss other people around, but it is given to him so he has the kind of stability and sure foundation that he can give himself up in love for other people, despite what might come back his way. Uh, just as an illustration, I might have mentioned this before. One of my favorite photographs in the world um, is of my mom and my grandmother, um, who is uh, not living anymore. In her last year, she had Alzheimer's um, and couldn't really remember where anyone was. Um, kind of got really mean. Like she was really kind. Like one of my favorite people. Um, but it, you know, her grasp of the truth got really, really loose in some really negative ways. But there's a photo of my mom outside the front of their house pushing her in her wheelchair. And she's got these big, round, like, you know, Bono fly glasses on and a, a scarf that's waving in the wind and smiling. And there's my mom just running behind her, pushing this thing, you know, with the wind in her hair. Um, and what's this an example of? This is an example of somebody who recognized that from her own mom, this is what her mom had done for her when she was a baby when she could not take care of herself or give anything back, that her mom poured herself out on behalf of her. And then it came a time where the opposite came around. And that this, the love could not be returned at this point to my mother. That was deserved 
for the labor that my mother put into this. But the love was given and it was poured out on her behalf in a moment where she couldn't, she couldn't return it. That is an example of the kind of character that Paul is talking about, of our relationship with the truth. That it is given for the sake, it comes in the form of how Jesus came to us as someone who is lowly and who came out of love, not to take from people, but to give in enduring patience. And this, this really comes into clarity when we talk about our community life together. Uh, because we, we are full of people where our love relationship doesn't match up always. We disagree. Uh, we have things that we don't like in each other. Uh, we don't fulfill each other in the way that we, we would think. We clash with each other. And the thing that makes up a community is not just that we have been given the truth, but that the truth has an effect in a particular Christ-like way. What it promotes is complete patience and endurance and long-suffering, and a giving of love to each other. Now, this is, I have to make this the shortest point, but I think it is the most significant point in here. Um, who feels tired? Like, when I'm thinking about this, tired is the main word that comes to my head. Because I know I don't have a lot to give. Like, I feel like I'm being poured out like a drink offering every day, just as it is, without even doing battle, you know, with my flesh inside. Who can do this? And to make it worse, Paul, look at the language is just almost irritating that Paul is using. Like, it sounds very braggadocious. Like, why is he saying this this way to Timothy that he's, you know, he's kept the faith and he has endured and he's done all this? Um, it's just kind of annoying. But I want to, let's look a little bit closer and see what Paul is saying. In first place, these articles are really important and that what he is not saying is that he has fought a good fight or that he has fought really, really hard, or he has fought, you know, with a whole lot of skill. He's saying he has finished the race. He's not saying that he has run really, really fast. He's saying he has kept the faith, not that his faith has been especially strong. And then we, this is clarified in the end where he says that this isn't just about me, this is about everyone who has loved Jesus appearing. And so the thing he is referring to, and I think it actually has less to do with Paul and rather it has to do with the stability of this faith that Paul holds. And what is the faith? Let's make no mistake. It is like Romans 3, 23 to 25, that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. In Hebrews 10, 14, that by a single offering, Christ has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That is those that Christ is still working on, that through his justification, he has perfected them for all time in God's graces. That his, his divine favor could not be any less and this in Jude 24 in the end that Christ is the one who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. That is the faith that Paul is holding on to. 
And what he is, why he is using this language about persevering to Timothy, it is not to draw attention to Paul, but he is trying to remind his servant that in this endeavor, which is going to be just brutally difficult at times, there is nothing that you can lose in this game that will not be returned in the end. That the posture of this faith is one of receiving hope from Jesus Christ. It is, it is like, I mean, he is the one who is coming. He is the one in his kingdom who is coming to us to set all things right. And what that is meant to do is that is meant to melt our hearts so that we are undone with our efforts in ourselves and that we are longing to receive this divine favor that God has worked for his people in Jesus Christ. That's what endurance means. And so what Paul wants above all else is he is telling Timothy that in light of this, kind of like the, the call to worship we have, that such, because we have such a great confidence, don't give up. Don't give up. Because the thing that is coming to you is so, so far beyond what you could ever achieve for yourself. It is huge and it is wonderful. And at the end of the day, maybe the greatest thing, it is free. It is just there to be received. And I just want to leave us here on this, asking these questions. And I, as I am examining my own heart over the last week, it is so easy uh, when thinking back over a year and looking ahead to the new year, to lose sight of what this faith is all about. To start thinking of that anxiety that we feel because of the things that we are afraid to lose. Uh, to become angry about the shape that our lives have taken um, because they have, it feels like we are giving up stuff um, that we will never get back. We're constantly evaluating ourselves according to our failures, trying desperately to be the mature one in the room and to get all of this right. And that is exhausting, and that will lead to burnout. But the thing that won't is to receive the gift of Jesus Christ. That is what this is all about. And so this is, this is kind of what, I, nothing of this is new, and you know, all of this is, um, I hope, profoundly simple and simply profound. But this is, these are the reflections of an old man who have learned these lessons um, through thick and thin and through much suffering. That he is burdened that his people, that we love the truth. We love the world as it actually is, rather than some figment of our imagination that will not deliver on the things that are promised. He really wants us to, for that truth to take root in our lives in a Christ-like way. And so that the content, that the character of our life together is, that it is, um, it is shaped according to a giving rather than a taking from each other. But above all else, that Paul wants us to, to be very clear on the content of this faith. That it is here to be received and it is here to be loved and is here to set your hearts free. Um, those are my meditations for this year. Um, I hope those are helpful to you as well. 
Um, I just want to stop there and pray that the Holy Spirit would do his work, um, that he would encourage us, he would bring these things to mind, and that he would go ahead of us um, into whatever uh, he has in store. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your favor, that when we compare it to our lives, it undoes us. It undoes all of the efforts that we are trying to accomplish for ourselves. Would you renew in us the hope in the gospel, a hope in your grace? Would you set us free from the burdens that we are carrying? And would you give us just a renewed sense of lightness and joy and peace in our lives together? In Jesus' name, amen.